Chapter 10 of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Necromancy. Necromancy is a department of the larger subject of divination, which has been practiced among men from very early ages, and which arose from the innate desire on their part to know the future but those who are able or who are supposed to be able to give information regarding the future must clearly possess powers denied to men of ordinary nature they must that is to say be supernatural beings if the information which is required be sought from the signs given by animals then those animals are believed to be supernatural themselves or else they are thought to be indwelt, for the time being, by some supernatural spirit. Quote, the universal Semitic belief in omens and guidance given by animals belongs to the same range of ideas. Omens are not blind tokens. The animals know what they tell to men. Close quote. It is the same with those of other forms of divination which are unconnected with animals. Whatever form the indication takes, there is no idea of chance or luck about it. It is believed to be the result of the invisible action of some supernatural spirit who knows. Of the various kinds of divination, whether bellomancy, the divination by arrows, Ezekiel chapter 21 verse 19 and following, hepatoscopy, divination by looking into the liver of an animal, lots, 1 Samuel chapter 14 verses 41 through 42, oniromancy, divination by dreams, Genesis chapter 31 verses 10 through 13 and often in the Old Testament, rhabdomancy, divination by rods, Hosea chapter 4 verse 12, etc. Necromancy, there can be little doubt, was the most awe-inspiring and most important, and was probably thought to be the most reliable, since the spirits of departed men might be expected to take a deeper interest in, and have a wider knowledge of the affairs of, those among whom they had once dwelt. 1. Necromancy Among the Babylonians Before dealing with necromancy in the Old Testament, we will take a brief glance at Babylonian and Assyrian belief and practice. Says Margoliuth, quote, Necromancy, which is an essential part of the cult of the dead, and which must also have been connected with the presentation of offerings to the shades consulted, undoubtedly held a prominent place among the magic arts of the Babylonians. There is in Babylonian literature, so far as is at present known, only one instance of calling up the dead from the underworld. It is that of the spirit of Ibani being consulted by Gilgamesh. The former tells his friend about the law of the underworld, after having ascended thence like the wind. But although there is only this one record in literature of actually calling up the dead, 
it is certain that necromancy in general had the widest vogue among the babylonians this is proved firstly by the various categories of priests extant for among these different classes are conjurers of the dead priests who bring up the spirit of the dead and the questioner of the dead the ritual of calling up the spirits of the departed seems to be referred to in the closing lines of the descent of ishtar it says there quote, in the days of tammuz play to me upon the crystal flute play to me upon the instrument his dirge ye mourning men and mourning women in order that the dead may ascend and smell the incense Close quote. it seems evident from this that the spirits of the departed were believed to be induced to rise up from their abode by the sound of the flute and the smell of the incense possibly this throws some light on the origin of the mourning custom of flute playing the departed spirit may have been supposed to be appeased by what was done in his honor another thing that points to the practice of necromancy among the babylonians is the fact of the spirits of the dead wandering about on the earth and not being willing to go back again to the underworld after having been presumably called up the worst plague demons it is said are those that come from the shades in the underworld in one text a sick man complains that he has been delivered into the power of a wandering spirit from the realm of the dead another case is that of one dangerously ill who declares that his illness is due to an evil disposed spirit having come up from the realm of the dead one tablet contains the prayer of a man who is convinced that he is possessed by a departed spirit there were various magical ways of counteracting these evils but it was always by special priests and priestesses that the spirits of the dead could be forced back again to their abode we have not much detail regarding this subject nor is this altogether surprising in the immense majority of cases it would have been the private individual who went to consult the dead and obviously no record would have been kept of these this is not the kind of subject regarding which one could expect to find many records its existence is taken for granted and nothing could be more eloquent in this respect than the classes of priests and priestesses recorded among which figure prominently such as include those who dealt in necromancy there is also the fact that where it was a case of banning some unwelcome spirit from below who had overstayed his time on earth one fixed formula came to be used so that a single record of this kind from a single temple might well imply thousands of cases dealt with furthermore as many of the worst among the demons were believed to be the spirits of the departed it is probable that many extant texts in which no direct reference to a departed spirit is made were in reality protective formulas against such two 
necromancy in the Old Testament. The classical case of necromancy in the Old Testament is, of course, that of the Witch of Endor, referred to already more than once. From that passage, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3-25, through 25, we learn that those who had familiar spirits and wizards had hitherto been tolerated in the land, since it is said that Saul had put them away out of the land. That this latter statement is not to be taken at face value is evident for several reasons. A practice which is known to have been universal among the early Semites, and which touched men in what may be regarded as one of the most sensitive parts of their nature, could not have been abolished at one stroke, earnestly though Samuel, the champion of Yahweh, must have striven. Again, Saul himself, who is supposed to have put these people out of the land, is the first to realize that this had not been done. His words show that their continued presence in the land is to him a matter of course. Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, he says, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Verse 7. And his servants have no need to seek. They answer him at once. Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. If this was the case with Saul, how much more likely will it have been so among the bulk of the people, to whom seeking unto the dead was a sacred reality and a traditional custom handed down for untold generations? Furthermore, from what we read in later books of the Old Testament, it is abundantly evident that throughout the period of the monarchy necromancy was practiced among the Israelites. Thus, in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 19, it is said, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto the wizards, that chirp and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? On behalf of the living should they seek unto the dead? It will be noticed how the prophet here takes for granted that the necromancers are flourishing in the land. It is the same thing in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 4, where the prophet compares humbled Ariel with one that has a familiar spirit. And thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit, out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Here again, the prophet takes the existence of necromancers for granted. In Isaiah chapter 19 verse 3, although there is a note of contempt for such things, the prophet again recognizes that they are in vogue, he says in his prophecy against Egypt, And the spirit of Egypt shall be made void in the midst of it, and I will swallow up the counsel thereof. And they shall seek unto the idols and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. These passages show that the prophet, 
while implicitly, though not directly, condemning necromancers and their practices, knows quite well that such things appealed to the people and were resorted to by them. So that when we read of King Manasseh that he practiced augury and used enchantments and dealt with them that had familiar spirits and with wizards, Second Kings chapter twenty one verse six, compare Second Chronicles chapter thirty three verse six, we must see in his action not so much the resuscitation of practices which had fallen into desuetude, but rather the official recognition of what had all along been done by the people. But the most instructive light is perhaps thrown on this subject by seeing the way in which it is dealt with in the different codes of laws preserved in the Old Testament. The oldest of these is the Book of the Covenant, Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, through chapter 23, verse 33. This with which Exodus chapter 34 verses 14 through 26 constitutes the earliest stratum of legislation, presupposes a people settled in Canaan and practicing agriculture. In this code there is no prohibition against necromancy. In chapter 22 verse 18 it is said, Thou shalt not suffer a sorceress to live, but sorcerers and sorceresses had nothing to do with necromancy. They were concerned with magical practices. To suppose that because necromancy is not prohibited in Israel's earliest code of laws, therefore it did not exist at that time, is out of the question. Necromancy was universal among ancient peoples, and we have no reason to believe quite the contrary, that the Israelites formed an exception to the rule. But, apart from that, we have seen from Second Samuel chapter 28 that it was fully in vogue at the beginning of the monarchy. Could anyone suppose that a thing so ingrained in man as necromancy, until eradicated by something higher, came into existence among the Israelites within the period of the settlement in Canaan, and some time before the beginning of the monarchy? One has only to mention such a thing to see its absolute absurdity. No, necromancy was practiced by the early Israelites in common with all the Semites, and the reason why it was not prohibited or even mentioned in Israel's earliest code of laws, is because the thing was regarded as a natural and legitimate practice. It touched men in a low stage of culture too closely, and the religious leaders saw as yet no reason for prohibiting it. In the meantime, the practice went on. The prophets, apparently, regarded it rather as a piece of folly than as anything else. But, evidently, in course of time, it was seen to constitute a menace to the worship of Yahweh, so that, in the Deuteronomic legislation, it is prohibited. There shall not be found with thee one that useth divination, one that practiseth augury, or an enchanter, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, 
or a consulter with a familiar spirit, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For whosoever doeth these things is an abomination unto Yahweh. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 10 through 12. In conformity with this, King Josiah, in order that he might perform the works of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of Yahweh, put away them that had familiar spirits and wizards and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. Second Kings chapter 23 verse 24 It was all to no purpose. So much so that in the next code of laws, the Law of Holiness, Leviticus chapters 17 through 26, put forth necromancy is not merely prohibited, but condemned as one of the worst sins, and declared to be punishable with death. Turn ye not unto them that have familiar spirits, nor unto wizards. Seek them not out, to be defiled by them. I am Yahweh your God. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 31 And the soul that turneth unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto the wizards, to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul, and will cut him off from among his people. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6 A man also, or a woman, that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 27 Quite in accordance with this latter view of things, the chronicler accounts for the death of Saul by saying that it was because of his trespass which he committed against Yahweh, because of the word of Yahweh which he kept not, and also for that he asked counsel of one that had a familiar spirit, to inquire thereby, and inquired not of Yahweh, therefore he slew him. But in spite of penal laws against necromancy, we find that even long after the exile it was practiced in Judea, for a late writer complains of a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that is not good, after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to my face continually, which sit among the graves, and spend the night in vaults. Isaiah chapter 65 verses 2 through 4 it needs no words to show that the reference in this passage is to necromancy. These passages, then, are sufficient, it may be hoped, to establish the fact that practically all through the history of Israel, as recorded in the Old Testament, necromancy was practiced in the land in spite of vigorous efforts to root it out. We may be sure that during and after the exile, the practice became ever more discredited. It is also, we believe, probable that 
from the prophetical period onward it tended to be in the main confined to the lower grades of society we have indeed nothing in the old testament to show that this was so but all the world knows that superstition is generally speaking more powerful where there is ignorance at any rate the outstanding fact is that down to post-exilic times laws were put forth to try to eradicate necromancy and that such laws witness to the existence of that which they sought to rectify our one object in referring to this subject is in order to point to it in support of the belief in the continued life of men after death this form of the witness to that belief certainly illustrates also the superstition credulity and folly of men but that is not our present concern necromancy presupposes the continued life of men after they die and as such it is a subsidiary element in our inquiry three some technical terms in the old testament we have seen that among the babylonians there were special categories of priests and as the texts inform us priestesses whose function it was to bring up the dead and to question them in the old testament we find the mention of people of both sexes they are not called priests and priestesses who exercised similar functions four words occur in this connection always without explanation since it is taken for granted that everyone knows all about them probably they refer to the same type of person first we have what is called the ob translated by familiar spirit the use of this word in the old testament is a little ambiguous in first samuel chapter twenty eight verse seven it is said seek me a woman that doth possess an ob here it is clear that the woman and the ob are distinct this is seen to be the case also in the next verse divine unto me i pray thee by means of the ob still more distinct if possible is deuteronomy chapter eighteen verse eleven where reference is made to one that asketh an ob in these three passages the distinction between the ob and the person who uses it for divining is as clear as can be so much so that an ob could quite conceivably be regarded as some external object and this is emphasized by the expression used in regard to it in second kings chapter twenty one verse six compare second chronicles chapter thirty three verse six where it is said of manasseh and he made his son to pass through the fire and practised augury and used enchantments and made an ob it is true the use of the root ob is wide it can mean to do to observe to acquire etc as well as to make but the revised version rendering dealt with 
is impossible for the word is never used in this sense unless followed by a preposition in second kings chapter twenty one verse six but not in second chronicles chapter thirty three verse six the revised version gives a marginal alternative appointed hebrew made the former is a possible rendering though the usage is very rare see first kings chapter twelve verse thirty one and chapter thirteen verse thirty three but in view of the other passages quoted above there would be some justification in using the verb in question in its ordinary sense and regarding the ob as something that was made gaster believes that the ob was a mummified body which could of course in one sense be spoken of as made and when one remembers the belief about the soul hovering about the body gaster's idea is not so fantastic as might at first appear to some we believe the data are insufficient to accept gaster's idea unreservedly but it merits consideration however this may be in the passages so far examined it is clear that there is a distinction between the ob and the person who uses it for divination in leviticus chapter twenty verse twenty seven it is said and a man or a woman in whom there is an ob shall surely die here too there is the same distinction only the ob is not external to the man or woman using it let alone anything material it is the spirit of some departed person who speaks out of the diviner in all the other passages in which ob occurs leviticus chapter nineteen verse thirty one chapter twenty verse six first samuel chapter twenty eight verse three and nine second kings chapter twenty three verse twenty four isaiah chapter eight verse nineteen chapter nineteen verse three and chapter twenty nine verse four it is always used purely and simply of the person who divines we have thus three stages of belief regarding the ob first it was a something believed to be the departed spirit of a man or woman who could be called up from the abode of the dead then something representing the ob was constructed and the ob was believed to enter it compelled to do so by one who understood the ritual then a stage was reached in which it was believed that the ob entered into the diviner and spoke through him or her so that the word ob came to be applied to the diviner or to put it in another way first it was believed that a ghost or ob actually appeared to the diviner then an image of an ob was made and the diviner who understood his business compelled the ghost to enter the image and finally the diviner believed himself or herself to be possessed by the ghost and thus came to be called by the same name 
the derivation of the word ob is differently explained but that given by delich and baudesen seems to be the right one according to them it comes from the root meaning to swell up that is something convex round from the outside but hollow inside and thus it came to be applied to a spirit or a ghost which was believed to appear in bodily form but was hollow inside the same word ob is used of a wine skin in job chapter thirty two verse nineteen which points to the probable correctness of this view the word ob often stands by itself but another word yedeoni is also found this latter however never stands by itself but is always used in conjunction with ob the revised version translates it by wizard it comes from the root meaning to know and is probably descriptive of the ob in the earliest stages of its use who knows and is therefore consulted other expressions which do not often occur are he who inquires of the dead and he who asks an ob the former of these describes the function of the ob in the latter stage of its use the latter refers to the person who comes to consult the ob also in the latter stage of its use finally there are the iltim meaning whisperers this refers to the method of procedure of the ob in the latter stage of its use when going through his ritual all these expressions then though translated in the revised version as though they were different categories of diviners one that hath a familiar spirit wizard necromancer whisperer refer we believe to the same class of people and merely describe characteristic function and action the probability of this lies in the fact that in necromancy there is and can be only one type of diviner viz the type that consults the dead or thinks he does one can understand that there should be various categories of diviners one class dealing with lots another with bellomancy another with hepatoscopy and so on but there is no scope for variety of categories in any one of these and so too of necromancy hence all four words mentioned probably refer to one and the same class four the ob and the teraphim in chapter eight section six we spoke of the teraphim the household gods whose worship was a remnant of ancestor worship in several passages in the old testament their mention in close connection with the ob demands a brief reference to the subject again in first samuel chapter fifteen verse twenty three the prophet condemns teraphim as iniquitous and makes the use of it parallel to divination that they were used for purposes of divination is evident from second kings chapter twenty three verse twenty four 
for they are there mentioned in the same category as the ob and in both judges chapter seventeen verse five and hosea chapter three verse four it is clearly implied that the teraphim stood in the sanctuary which would have been an obvious place to come to if an oracle were sought but the clearest evidence is seen in zechariah chapter ten verse two for the teraphim have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie that the practice was a babylonian one is seen from ezekiel chapter twenty one verse twenty one and the king of babylon stood at the parting of the way at the head of the two ways to use divination he shook the arrows to and fro he consulted the teraphim he looked in the liver these passages lead to the belief that the teraphim were images of some ancestor in which the spirit of the ancestor was supposed to come when conjured up by the ob and before which the latter stood and received the answer to the question which an inquirer sought squally's suggestion that the teraphim are to be identified with the rephaim is very attractive the two words may well come from the same root the ephod is sometimes mentioned together with the teraphim but this subject does not concern us here sufficient to say that this kind of ephod was a different thing from the priest's garment of the same name compare first samuel chapter two verse eighteen chapter twenty one verse eighteen second samuel chapter six verse fourteen together it too was an image see judges chapter eight verses twenty two through twenty seven chapter seventeen verses one through five first samuel chapter twenty one verse ten and was presumably used for divination but we have no evidence to show that it had anything to do with necromancy five the modus operandi of the necromancer necromancy assumes the belief in the external soul if there was a certain freedom accorded to the soul while still more or less bound to the body how much more would this be the case when the soul was permanently released from the body for just as it was believed that during a man's lifetime his soul could make distant excursions and return so it was also believed that after death the soul though detained in sheol could come out of there and roam about provided that the requisite means were employed to bring it up how certain men originally brought themselves to believe that they had the power to bring up the dead and to consult them it would be difficult to say but it would be a great mistake to suppose that the whole thing was chicanery no doubt in course of time cases of conscious deception would have occurred but knowing what we do about the mentality of man in a not very advanced stage of culture we may confidently believe that in the vast majority of cases there was a firm conviction 
on the part of the diviner that he was really able to accomplish what he professed he could it is worth noting that throughout the old testament although divination of all kinds is often though not always strongly condemned there is rarely a hint that it was not a real thing indeed the reason of its condemnation viz that it formed a rival to yahweh worship suggests belief in its reality otherwise it might have been treated with contempt and have been left to languish and die out of its own inanity now it will be interesting to gather if we can from the old testament any hints as to what lay at the back of the mind of these necromancers and their clients regarding this matter and to see if any points are forthcoming which will give indications as to the modus operandi of the necromancer we must confess at the outset that there is not much material of the kind desired but some little there is in the narrative of the witch of endor first samuel chapter twenty eight the witch must be thought of as looking downwards and peering into space for she says she sees a god coming up out of the earth saul sees nothing since he asks the witch what she sees the narrator evidently believes that samuel actually speaks for he makes a clear distinction between what the woman says and what samuel says it would seem therefore that when saul carries on a conversation with samuel we are intended to understand that this was done directly and not through the medium of the witch from other passages however we are enabled to see that it was the medium who actually spoke on such occasions whatever the credulous believed for in leviticus chapter twenty verse twenty seven we learn that it was believed that the spirit of the dead came into the diviner the spirit therefore used the voice of the diviner as his instrument it is not necessary however to think that the witch as medium was conscious of deceiving saul even in these days it is well known that people of this kind are capable of working themselves up into a state in which they really believe that an inner voice is speaking to them and this they repeat there are also cases on record in which a medium falls into a state of trance during which he or she utters what is purported to be a message from the other world the possibility must be allowed of something of this kind having taken place in the case of the witch of endor the narrative all through and especially what is said in verses twenty one through twenty five has a ring of bona fides about it self-deception is very easy when a person really believes that he or she has the power to communicate with spirits and in those days everybody believed that this power was possessed by some 
from isaiah chapter eight verse nineteen we learn the way in which a diviner spoke two expressions are there used the first which is translated by chirp comes from the onomatopoetic root zapap this is used primarily of the twittering of birds for example isaiah chapter thirty eight verse fourteen the other translated by mutter comes from the root haga used of the cooing of a dove also occurring in isaiah chapter thirty eight verse fourteen the former word is used also in isaiah chapter twenty nine verse four where further information is given by the words thou shalt be brought down and shalt speak out of the ground and thy speak shall be low out of the dust and thy voice shall be like that of the ob out of the ground and thy speech shall chirp out of the dust one other word occurs once only in isaiah chapter nineteen verse three which is translated charmers but in the margin whisperers it is used of egyptian diviners and occurs together with the ob and the yidioni it comes from the root atat which on arabic analogy probably means much the same as haga mentioned just now that is to speak in a low muttering voice it would thus appear that the diviner lay on the ground from which the spirit would be supposed to arise and spoke in a peculiar tone of voice or else it was by means of ventriloquism ventriloquism is an easy explanation and may have been adopted in some cases but there was no need for it and the words used chirp mutter whisper do not necessarily suggest it there may have been a special reason for imitating the sounds made by birds for there was a very widespread belief that after death the soul assumed the form of a bird this is nowhere definitely stated in the old testament to have been the belief of the israelites but the thought may well have been implicit in such a passage as psalm fifty five verse six yahweh and supernatural beings generally are conceived of as having wings psalm fifteen verse eight psalm eighteen verse ten psalm thirty six verse seven psalm fifty seven verse one psalm sixty three verse seven exodus chapter twenty five verse twenty chapter thirty seven verse nine etc but even though we have no direct evidence of the israelites believing that the soul took the form of a bird the widespread character of this belief makes it pretty certain that they did believe this it was believed by the ancient babylonians that the departed soul became a bird in form the arabs believed the same they held that the soul took the form of an owl the egyptians had conflicting views on the subject but one view was that the departed soul took the form of a half-human bird 
which lived in or near the grave in greek art the human soul is generally represented with wings sometimes as a butterfly Quote, often the soul is conceived as a bird ready to take flight this conception has probably left traces in most languages and it lingers as a metaphor in poetry but what is metaphor to a modern european poet was sober earnest to his savage ancestor and is still so to many people fraser gives a number of examples if then as may well have been the case the israelites had a similar belief regarding the soul the object of the necromancer in articulating in a bird-like fashion may quite well have been that by this means he would presumably be more likely to attract the attention of the bird-shaped soul in this event there would have been no question of duping an inquirer it would rather come under the head of imitative magic regarding the passage isaiah chapter sixty five verse four already referred to it would appear that here we have a case of what is called incubation by resorting to a grave and spending the night there it was thought that the departed spirit would appear to the sleeper in a dream and that the desired information or guidance would be imparted in this way that god spoke in this way was firmly believed see genesis chapter twenty verse three chapter thirty one verse eleven numbers chapter twelve verse six first samuel chapter thirty eight verses six and fifteen etc necromancy then however naive and crass witnesses to the belief among the israelites in immortality End of chapter 10